Well, I wait all year long for this month because I just love the Christmas season, and some of you know that. Um, and I love planning Christmas messages, and every year I get to choose another place to go and another thing to do. And uh, sometimes it's just going right back to the one we had before, because how can you top it? You can't. Uh, Luke chapter 2. Probably the most familiar section in all of Scripture pertaining to the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2. We're going to uh, read here this morning before prayer, verse 8 through verse number 18. Luke 2, 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood among them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And you would be too. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, pricking God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard wondered at the things which were told them, by the shepherds. Heavenly Father, we quiet our hearts a moment here before we enter into a study of your word. We want to hear from you today. These words that you have had recorded for us have been around for centuries, but they're true and they accurately speak of your great love and desire for us to know you. You sent us a Savior so that we would have peace with God, so that we would have a cause to bring glory to your name. And so this morning, this is a vital message for us because it speaks of what you have done to show us that love. And I pray our hearts are attentive today, and I pray that they're quick to respond today to the things we see. So work in our lives even now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks wrap around our Christmas celebration time. I like that. I can work with three or four weeks on a given theme and enjoy that with you. This year I'm using the concept of seeking God. Seeking God. I want to ask you just a personal question that you could answer in your own mind and in your own heart right now. How do you seek Him? 
Do you seek Him? Is it your desire to seek God? These are the questions that we will have brought to us week after week after week. Because as we very well know, it's possible to go through all of the activity without seeking Him. And so seeking God is my little approach that I'm going to use from verse number 15, where the angels had gone away. I, I try to picture that, that moment there. They had just seen the glory of the Lord, which is a stunning thing. I can't say I've seen it. I've read about it. I do know that once when an angel appeared, the glory was so great that guards at a tomb became like dead men. I have read in Scripture where the glory of the Lord appeared and people fell flat on their face, unable to move, needed picked back up. We've had them thrown off horses. We've had many different scenes where the glory of the Lord appeared and men were speechless in that presence. These men had just not only seen an angel and the glory of the Lord reflected, but then a big host of angels shouting out or singing. Glory to God in the highest. What, what an incredible scene that had to have been when you were out in the dark, not expecting anything of that, and suddenly, boom, it flashes in front of you. And then they're gone. And I wonder if they disappeared as suddenly as they appeared. But think of that moment when suddenly it's quiet. And nobody can say a word, no doubt. They, they, they just stood there for several minutes, perhaps, unable to speak at all, wondering, is this real? Maybe you could hear one of them whisper, wow. That's probably the word I would have chosen. Wow. It's not in Scripture, but it sounds like a good word. Or the next words would be, what was that? Or, did you see what I just saw? And the conversation starts, and suddenly one of them says, let's go. Because that's what it says in verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. That little phrase, let us go and see, that's what I want to emphasize throughout this couple of weeks as we prepare for our Christmas celebration. You know, often in Scripture, there's a call to seek the Lord. Many verses, if you stop and look for them, He calls us to seek Him. It's a great invitation. It appears that it's issued to everyone. Men and women, children, the old, the young, kings, peasants. The invitation to come and seek the Lord. It's woven all the way through the pages. Isaiah said it this way so beautifully. In chapter 55, in verse number Six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There even seems to be somewhat of an expiration date with seeking the Lord. 
while he may be found, while he is near. You know, in the Christmas passages that we read and we're so familiar with, there were actually very few recorded there that were seeking the Lord. Very few who did anything about the message. We don't read a lot about those who didn't, though they're on the pages. If we stop and think about it for a few minutes, we would see the examples, many examples of those who did not seek the Lord. But there are a handful of examples for us of those who did seek the Lord. I'm going to look at those individuals, because that's the ones that encourage us and challenge us. Uh, hopefully, we would have a desire, and maybe even a greater desire, to seek the Lord as we look at the lives of these individuals and what opportunity they had to seek Him. But I do start with a problem up front, and theologically, I did this myself when I said, Seek the Lord! And then a verse popped into my mind, and maybe in yours too. There is none who seek after Him. I said, uh-oh, now what do I do? Am I going to be preaching something contradictory? And of course, I wouldn't want to do that. So I said, well, okay, Lord, explain that one to me first so I can move on to the rest. And when I found this problem, it was in actually in Romans uh, chapter number 3, verse number 11. It's a quote from the Old Testament. It says, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. And I said, okay, what is that? How does that fit? That passage in Roman especially is dealing with sin. It's dealing with our sin nature. Sin always keeps us from seeking out God. It always will. It doesn't matter who you are. As the passage says in Romans, and I'll just read it to you from verse 9 of chapter 3 to verse 19. It sounds like a long one, but just brace yourself for what you hear. What then? Are they better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That means you qualify. Right? You're one or the other, but all of us qualify as those who are under sin. And it says, and there it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. No, there's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, uh, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Then it goes on to say, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may be accountable to God. That's the reality of sin, isn't it? All of sin. Fall short of the glory of God. We're not going to seek Him out. That passage says so very carefully. Very much like Adam and Eve. Go back to the original sin. What did they do first when God came into the garden to look for them? They hid. That's not seeking after God, is it? They hid. Matter of fact, who was the seeker in the story? God was. He was calling for them. You see, sin does not give us a desire to seek God. It never will. But thankfully, God always takes the first step. And if God didn't seek us, we certainly wouldn't have sought Him out. 
Yet the reality is God does initiate the seeking. And that's what I noticed in this passage. This verse 15 that we're looking at here. I want to show you something. And when I saw this, I said, hey, this is perfect. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing. They're going to go seek it out. That has happened. And then notice this phrase, which the Lord has made known to us. Who initiated this? God did. It was God who sent his son. It was God who sent the angel. The shepherds weren't looking. They didn't go to work that night, punch in their clock, you know, and such, and say, hey, angel's coming. That was not their anticipation in the middle of the night, now was it? Suddenly, the angels appear. The Lord made it known to them. They had one response that was right. And that was go and find out what the Lord had said. I, I put that together here this morning in that regard because I know Scripture says that there are none who will seek Him out. And that's our sin. And if that's your issue this morning, you're not going to find anything about this message that you're going to desire. Because it's a message on seeking God. And if sin is the, the dominant thing in your heart right now, if that's what's motivating you, you're not going to see any value in these words. You're going to be hiding this morning, like Adam and Eve. So I challenge you, even as we understand and work our way through this, God is at work drawing us to himself. And yet he desires within us that seeking that I want to talk about. The seeking. You see, there's a word see in the text. Verse 15, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see. And see. I like that word. I, I think it's fascinating because in the Greek language there are many words for see. There's a variety. Of, each of them describe a different way of viewing something. There are words that are just the see for a mere glance. Oh, I see it. All right. There are, there are words that uh, you, you see to recognize something. Right? I see Noah. I recognize Noah. So, there's that kind of a C word, right? feel pretty good now, don't you? Just put you in the sermon. You're welcome. <laughs> there's the words for staring, where you see and you just can't take your eyes off something. You stare at it for the longest time. There are words that you use for see when you're contemplating something. There's the words that you even say it this way. I see when you understand something. Such a variety of words that, that can help us understand. As a matter of fact, there's even a word for seeing that takes body angles in order to make it sound right. You know this little passage in James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, where it says, Anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like the man who looks. He looks. He looks at a mirror. What's he doing? He, he's just taking note of it. He, he looks in the mirror. He sees that person staring at him. He, he perceives. He contemplates a little. He, he's detected somebody in that mirror. He looks at the natural face in the mirror and once he has looked at himself, he's gone away and immediately forgotten the kind of person he was. But, then there is the one who looks intently 
And that's a different word. This word is the guy who walks up to the mirror. He actually bends over tries to get the best view he can of it. He's got his head tilted a little. You can almost picture it, can't you? He's intent on seeing. There's some activity with that word. He's intent. He's stooping sideways. He's stooping to look. He's intently, carefully looking at the perfect law, James says, the law of liberty, and abides by it. He's not a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, and he's blessed in what he does. So, the word that we have today is a little Greek word, horao. Sounds really great, doesn't it? Horao is to give some sort of prominence to what you're looking at with your mind. It's using a discerning mind. It's denoting perception. This is the look with understanding. Alright? They're not just engaging the eyeballs. They're engaging the mind because they want to see. And that's what the shepherds are doing here. And I thought that was interesting. Because in verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them to heaven, straight the, angel, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing so we could discern it, so we could perceive it, so that we could understand it. Now, I think that's fascinating. They had just heard the gospel message. Angels appearing. One angel declaring, For today, in the city of David, is born for you a Savior. Nobody had ever heard that message before. And here they hear it for the first time. A Savior? Christ the Lord? To you, you already know what that means. To them, they said, we've got to seek this one out. And then the angels follow up with that praise chorus. Glory to God in the highest. Boy, does that make you think it's important news? And they wanted to know what it was all about. They had to go and perceive it. They had to seek it. They had to understand it. They wanted to know what this thing was that the Lord had made known to them. It was about salvation. It was about peace on earth. It was about a Savior. And it was a sign. You know the sign. A baby wrapped in swaddling bands, King James has said. Lying in a manger. You see, they weren't merely looking for a baby when they went into that city. They were looking to understand that message that they had just heard. They wanted to understand what God had just done. And they they knew it involved the baby. They knew it involved the Savior. But they wanted to understand, what does this mean? So they came in a hurry, it says. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph. You could almost picture them doing this, can't you? Their actions, incredible actions in this passage. They're urging one another to go. Let's go, let's go. Come on, let's go. Not one of them said, but the sheep. They just said, let's go. Let's go. They, they wanted to perceive. They wanted to go in haste. Don't, don't, you know, dilly-dally here. Let's just get there. Go in haste. Let's find the way to the manger. How many doors might they have knocked on? I assume this was the middle of the night. 
people love to have a knock on their door in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then you look out there and what do you see? A bunch of shepherds that just seemed all agitated. Knocking on your door. Where's the baby? <laughs> I just love the scene. I can't wait to see the video. So they move from there, looking, looking, looking. They find the baby. They walk in. They enter into that, and they're talking. And they had to tell them what they had seen. And then they leave, and they're talking. They're talking down the street. They're talking to people still hanging out their window, wondering who these people are. They wanted to hear. They wanted to share. They wanted to, to understand what God had said. I love the action in the story. This, is this a casual seeker? A careless seeker? Not at all. There's just power in all these words. I think what I have found just thinking this through, how well the description of the shepherds fits what God calls a seeker to be. This is what I'm going to walk through with you just for a few minutes here. But God desires those who seek Him to seek Him with their heart and with their soul. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, boy, you go way back there. Moses is preaching his sermon. He's up in age, 120 years. He's uh, about to be taken away from the people. The Lord told him to prepare. It's time to die. Uh, so he's giving them the final instructions before they go on to the promised land, and he goes up to be with the Lord. And in the midst of his sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he's describing to them how the Lord has been at work in their life. All these years the Lord has been faithful to them, and he's warning them. He's warning them. Matter of fact, he's very prophetic in this passage, because he doesn't say... If you disobey, the Lord will punish you. He says, when you disobey, the Lord will punish you. And every word is going to be fulfilled perfectly. But this is what he said in chapter 4, Deuteronomy, verse 26 through 29. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, of wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from where you, from, but from there you will seek the Lord, your God. You will find him. If you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Interesting phrase. Mark those words in your thinking. You will search for him with all your heart and all your soul. The context is of those being punished. Driven out of the land under the wrath of the Lord. And he calls them still to seek him. This morning, you're not excluded from such a seeking. If you're far from the Lord even right now, if you're under the kind of punishment or discipline that He musters out, and you know what it is, and you know what it's like, 
You haven't been walking with Him at all and your heart's far from Him. The call is still there for those who are far away. Seek Him with all your heart, with all your soul. The Lord is very gracious to do that. When He could have just said, just go away. Seek Him with all your heart. Jeremiah had the similar message. Jeremiah was writing to people just as stubborn as Moses had to deal with. It's unfortunate they were all of the same family. But it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, You will seek me and find me when, we, when you search for me with all your heart. This is a great psalm, 105, verse 3. Glory is his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. I think that's true. When you do seek Him, is there not a gladness in your own heart for that very reason? You seek Him out. Let it be glad as you seek Him. Psalm 27, verse 8. When you say, seek my face, my heart said to you, Lord, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Are we that quick to respond? I like the way David said this in Psalm 63, verse 1. He was in the wilderness at the time. The little caption above the psalm says so. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let me ask you to look at that little gauge on your heart right now. Where is it at in this? issue of earnestness, thirst, passion, yearning, seeking of God. Do you have a dry heart to go with the dry environment? David says, you are my God and I will seek you earnestly. There's a heart and there's a soul that's engaged How's yours? Now, if that's not enough to work on, let's add another aspect of it, because this kind of seeking is the one that's done with the mind. We started with this concept, but it comes out very clearly. In Psalm 14, verse 2, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. If you were looking down even right now, which he is, by the way, and he's scanning over the congregations that are meeting in this country this morning, how many will he note that says, there's one that understands, there's one who seeks after me. This one has engaged his mind in knowing me. He wants to know me. He wants to understand me. Are you one that he sees this morning? Who's seeking him with your mind as well? I find it fascinating. I've read these uh, biographies on a few occasions of those who did not know the Lord. They thought the scriptures were, were phony. They thought all we have to do is use a little intellect here and read the scriptures and we'll prove them wrong. That this is just a, a farce and they start into the story. And many of them, you know their stories now. It doesn't take long before the Lord says, aha. <laughs> You're the one who's wrong. 
and they come to understand who the Lord is. This is one who gives time to God's Word, who goes into it to understand, who has what the Lord has given to them, they will seek it out with their mind. You know, you can't learn anything if you don't read it. This is the one who seeks after God. Their minds are involved in the process as well as their heart and their soul and now their mind. And by the way, their effort too. Their effort too. That verse in Psalm 105, verse number 4 adds to it. Seek the Lord at His strength. Seek His face continually. Unless it's a Thursday. No. What's continually mean to you? All the time. Does that sound like effort? Seek the Lord continuously. Seek the Lord continuously. That's going to take some work. I, I'm going to add this one in. I don't have a scripture passage. To tell the truth, that sounds like a funny thing for me to say, perhaps. But I do have a quote. So there it is. Uh, Seek the Lord with the right motive. I only read this to you because it kind of struck me for a minute and then I thought it through and I said, you know, this sounds very right. A.W. Tozer said this. Whoever seeks God as a means toward desire ends will not find God. What do you mean by that? Oh, he's just one of the steps in my goal that I'm looking for. Or seek God, that just kind of helps me along the way. Whoever seeks God as a means toward desire ends will not find God. The mighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, will not be one of many treasures, not even the chief of all treasures. He will be all in all, or he will be nothing. God will not be used. I said, well, that stops you, doesn't it? To think that through? Seek with the right motive. Now you've got to look again at the heart, don't you? Why do I seek God? Why? Would you seek God just so that you will have a place in heaven reserved for you? Would you seek God so that you can have peace down here on this earth and things go well or that you have some sort of comfort or such? I ask you it that way because I want to ask you this. Would you seek God if there was no heaven? Would you seek God if there was no peace or comfort? Would you still seek God because He's God? There's a test of the motive. Why do we seek Him? Is it for what we get out of it? Or do we seek Him because we want to know Him? We want to know Him. There's your motive. See, God's explanation of searching for Him, seeking for Him, is not at all what the world thinks. Not at all. He calls us to an exercise that includes our hearts, and our soul, and the full and our will, I didn't even put that in there yet, and our emotion, and our devotion. The world is satisfied with the mere surface. A decoration or two that resembles something somewhat religious, if, of course, they allow it. But not too much more than that. You know, I recall the days, personally, 
even in my Christian walk, when I was very shallow, practically undetectable as a believer. I did samplings, if you will, of the spiritual. I fulfilled weekly duties, of course. I, I attended church. I did my token offerings as well. I, I went even as far to sing in the choir, to serve on a mission committee. But I'd be honest with you to say I was not seeking God. I was satisfied with the mere surface, the external, which everyone saw and said, hey, boy, that's a nice person. That's a spiritual person. Oh, you could put up the, the facade so easily. I've been down that road before. I might have read this to you before, but I thought it was kind of a, uh, a illustration that sticks right there and helps me to express what I'm trying to say. Back in 1983, Chuck Swindoll came to Founders Week at Moody Bible Institute and gave us a series of messages. There were great messages out of the book of Hebrews, talking about people, you know, people and faith and people and, and God's work and such like that. And in the middle of one of his messages there, a story he read to us that still is very prominent in my mind. It was written by a man named Wilbur Rees. There was an article written by him. And he wrote it with sarcasm. But this is what it said. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my peace but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Or take that plastic Christ, please. No, no, not the flesh and blood one. He's a dirty little Jew that smells of a barn. He will keep me from my appointment with the hairdresser and make me late for the cocktail party. He will soil my linen and break my strands of matched pearls. I can't put up with the re I can't put up with repugnance from Persia or sweaty shepherds traveling all over my nylon carpet with their muddy feet. My name isn't Mary. I don't want a living, breathing Christ, but one I can keep in his crib with a rubber band. The plastic one would do just fine. That's satisfaction on the surface. I was there for a long time. I fit the category of what Tozer did describe as one who wastes their life. He said, actually, I do find Christians these days who seem to have largely wasted their lives. They were converted to Christ, but they have never sought to go on to an increasing knowledge of God. There is an untold loss and failure because they have accepted the whole level of things around them as being normal and desirable. Been there? The story of the shepherds cannot be changed. The one that we read this morning cannot be changed. Even if you should ask the question, I wonder if the shepherds had not gone to see what would have happened. We can't change that story. But we can ask other questions like, why didn't the priest 
Why didn't the king himself go and see when they heard that the king of the Jews had been born not more than six miles away? Why did they not go and seek? We could ask this question, and it's pure speculation perhaps, but it does say that the shepherds went about telling people about what they had seen. How many do you think left their homes in Bethlehem to go down the street to see that baby born in the manger. Do we read of the crowds busting out of their homes and rushing down to see him? We don't read of that, do we? Oh, I know it's speculation, but think a moment for this. There are so many people who hear the same thing you and I hear this morning. And we've heard it for years and years and years and years. And we've not taken one step in the direction to seek him. Not one step. You know what that is? We've heard the story, but we haven't listened to it. We, we see a Savior, but we don't understand Him. We have not discerned Him. We have not perceived Him. God is calling for seekers. I know that word's been used in the last ten years. He wants those who will seek Him with all their heart and with all their soul. He wants them to seek Him with their strength and to seek Him with their mind and to seek them with the motives that go with this. He wants those who will invest their efforts in knowing Him and not just be satisfied in saying they know about Him, but to know Him. If the shepherds came into the sanctuary this morning and they said, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see what God has made known to us. How many of us would jump out of our pew and follow them? There's our test for the heart this morning. There's our test. Now, let's talk to the Lord about our hearts. Gracious Lord, you know every single person in this room. You know completely, perfectly, where we are with you. To what degree we actually do seek to know you. To know what you have done. To know our Savior thoroughly. To desire to earnestly, aggressively come to know you. Lord, the Word is right here in front of us. You have asked us to seek you out. You've told us how we can do that with our hearts and our souls and our minds, our strength. <coughs> now it comes down to a simple thing as to whether or not we will or we won't. That's where your work is at, active in our hearts right now. I trust, Lord, that uh, you see many hearts saying, I will, in this congregation. I, I pray, Lord, you see every heart in this room saying, I will. Thank you for what you have done to make it possible that you sought us first. That you declared to us the truth. You have given to us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. May our hearts seek you. May they come and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen.